Welcome to Review the Future, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at the impact of technology on culture. I'm Ted Cupper. I'm John Perry. And today we're asking the question, what are the possibilities of augmented reality? Okay, so we've been a little bit spotty in our output for a while now. Apologies for that. Yes, but we're back. So welcome to 2016. This is our first new recording in the new year and we we've had a lot going on um including working on our sci-fi graphic novel which thank you again to all of the listeners that supported that and today uh we are going to dive in deep on a subject that we've been meaning to do for a while actually uh and that is uh, augmented reality so let's get right into it well the two uh elephants in the room right off the bat that we're just going to address are two products that are being teased and dangled in front of us as tech enthusiasts which are the right. Microsoft HoloLens and Magic Leap the mysterious technology being developed in Florida <laughs> by Magic Leap Right, with, with tons Which and tons of money. Maybe you've seen the like weird Weta-produced videos or the um, strange uh, astronaut-themed TED Talk that these guys did, but there's some uh, secretive group that's raised a lot of money from Google and others. And HoloLens got a very splashy announcement. They, they demonstrated it. Are there development kits available or are they... Well, supposedly, uh, from what I read, there will be dev kits available sometime early this year. Price okay, so they're not out yet. They're not. I don't think they're out as of the recording of this podcast. Got it. They're supposedly coming. They're going to cost about three thousand dollars, and Microsoft is not nearly as secretive about their thing that they're working on as Magic Leap is. So no, but Microsoft has this terrible history of being not secretive about things that remain vaporware. Right? We'll have to take a wait and see approach with anything from Microsoft. Because yeah, and to be honest, um, very little is known about either of these products. Uh, you can find reviews online of people that have been invited into the offices to see them and you can see what they say. I mean, my impression is that this technology being consumer ready, that's something that's kind of still pretty far off. I mean, I think we might be talking five years before this stuff is really actually usable by the general public. Uh, apparently, the HoloLens has a pretty narrow field of vision mm-hmm. and only really works like in some sort of small rectangle directly in front of you Mm -hmm. just all the processing that goes into right where do you put the computer yeah uh yeah that's a big problem so a lot of these things you know in the demos they're they're tethered to some computer i hear the magic leap is you know tethered to some computer on a cart uh (laughs) i think the the hololens is a little more mobile but you know Computers get smaller and faster over time, so I'm sure that'll be fixed, but for the time being, that's an issue. Right. Just like nailing the interface, right? Interface definitely seems like a challenge. We'll talk more about that. But uh, it's also got to be decent looking, right? That's, I think, a bigger issue. That's where I was going to jump. Yeah, that doesn't matter for VR so much. If you're at home, I mean, it can be a little If you're walking around in the world, you don't really want to be wearing, you know, something that looks like wraparound sunglasses, uh, uh, which is basically what the HoloLens looks like. Now, supposedly, from what I've heard, and maybe this is not true, this is pure rumor, but the Magic Leap stuff is apparently supposed to be small enough that it will fit into something that looks more or less like regular glasses. And if that's true, which I don't know if it is, then that may overcome the not ugly issue. I mean, I think it's got to be, if not regular glasses, it's got to be close to. Right. Well, and also it could be a cool variation on, right? Like a good designer might be able to create something that's a little bigger and clunkier, let's say, than glasses, but not Strictly speaking, uglier. If if they use the clunk in a in a clever way, yeah, there might be uh like a a cool way to style it 
we should also talk about the other elephant in this room, which is the recent public beta, if you will, of Google Glass, which was the first modern era AR. Yeah, which seems to be sort of considered a failure now. The media reaction is it was a failure because they didn't find a consumer product in there. But what is happening with Google Glass is they're professionalizing it, and it's going to be a tool for specialized uses like surgeries. You know, it's, uh, I think Google Glass is the Newton of AR. And just like the Newton didn't sell any units, but having done that, put Apple in a good position to make iPods and iPhones in the future. I think it's the same thing. It's They're going to be in a position where they have done software, they've done UX tests, they've done hardware development in this world. And even if that particular product is a flop, it's going to position them to, to compete. So I, I think there might be a glass version 10 or something that's, you know, maybe using one of these other technologies for its screen uh, that gets used. So I don't know that it'll be a complete uh, failure. Right. Okay. Well, and so uh, we want to just kind of address these big products that are on the horizon. Everybody's heard about this stuff. Yeah. And that's what I think makes this interesting to talk about right now. And hopefully, again, we'll be learning more this year. Right. But this really isn't a tech news podcast. No, and none of this stuff is really news. I mean, this stuff was all covered. You can find all this online. Yeah. So that's just a quick recap of what it is we're talking about. Those are the things you'd have heard of. Let's, Let's move into like the taxonomy of AR. Like what is and isn't augmented reality? Let's just get definitional for a moment. Yeah. And, uh, this was a tough definition to come up with. We had a bit of a talk about it. Yeah. And, uh, I'm still not super pleased with it, but I think, you know, you just gotta work with something. So here's what we've got for the definition of augmented reality, natural and artificial visuals that are composited together in real time. Now, there's, there's a, a few things to unpack there. So, first of all, right. visuals, right? We really, really wanted to have a definition of augmented reality that included the other four senses. But it, as it turns out, uh, there's some problems, right? I mean... Right. Well, we ran into issues with that. We were uh, annoyed that other definitions seemed to be visual in nature. But when we started to talk about it, we realized that audio in particular creates a huge problem because just the nature of the way audio works... Like, if, if the definition is, you know, these sort of natural and artificial, usually computer-generated signals that are that are composited together, then that happens every time you turn on a speaker and listen to a record in a room while also hearing the ambient noise of your friend talking. Exactly. And that's just an inherent nature of how sound waves work, that mixing is happening in the air, literally. So you can do one of two things. You can either define AR such that virtually all audio playback is augmented reality, or you can try to narrow it down other ways. And we tried to do this and it just ends up being too too restrictive. So we're just going to have to focus on visuals right now. That's what everybody is excited about anyways, right? And that's what these products are doing. Yeah. They're visual AR. There is one interesting counterexample though that John came up with that I really liked. So let's talk about that. Right. So I was thinking about the other three senses, one of which is touch. So I could imagine, say, a a haptic feedback glove. And let's say you're playing a, a game where you're trying to find a magic object that's in your room and it's using your existing room. And when you touch the right object, uh, the glove vibrates. So it feels like the object itself is vibrating. But of course, you can still hold the object in your hand. It still has weight. So I feel like then you're really yeah, are you compositing, can feel its temperature. you know, the natural right. uh, haptic qualities of that object with an artificial one that's generated by the computer, which is the vibration. Right. So it'll give the impression that you're both holding the object and the object is vibrating when that's not actually what's happening. That's partially being composited in by the haptic feedback glove. So that seems to count to me, even though that's not strictly speaking visual. Maybe we're going to define that for right now as haptic AR. 
Right. That's like, that's like touch augmented reality. You know, to do smell or taste, I don't know, you'd have to have some crazy futuristic, you know, nanobots in the brain type technology. And that's just so far off. We're going to, we're going to leave that aside for now. Right. And let's go through a couple other details of the definition real quick. Sure. Right. So um, it has to happen in real time. I think that's clear that that's important. Otherwise, you're just looking at visual effects. Right. So post-processing can create augmentation, but if it's not in real time, then it's it doesn't count as reality, basically. The other thing is that we we often think of augmented reality as being, you know, location dependent or location specific. Or context specific is another way yeah. to say it. And we, it's not always physical location. We didn't include that because we felt like that augmented reality really benefits from that, but it doesn't need that, strictly speaking. It doesn't seem like a necessary condition, but it seems like something that will often be part of the augmented reality experience. So like a simple example would be if you had a reminder in the corner of your vision that was basically just your to-do list everywhere you went all day. I think that counts as augmented reality, even though that does not depend on your location or any context other than that I guess it's you that's wearing it. Obviously, a lot of the use cases that we can think of involve various types of context or location awareness, but that's not strictly necessary, we don't think, for something to augment reality with uh, some kind of signal overlay. Okay, so now that we know what we're talking about, let's go through implementation. First of all, hardware, some kind of head-mounted display. I think that that's, you know, what the products that we're talking about are. Right. So the current generation of products are these head-mounted displays. Right. But the earliest set of products that did this, right, are heads-up displays. Right. If we want to go in chronological order, sure. Right. So maybe we should start there. Like uh, the first things were things like windshields that have the equivalent of instrumentation projected onto them. When actually, if we're going low tech to high tech, then the next step would be, you know, handheld devices, right? Because you can hold your phone up right now and there's various apps that you can find that will, you know, right. use your phone's camera and overlay things on top of that. Right, and we'll talk about that distinction in a minute, but something that's interesting about that is that's using the camera to ascertain the environment and then it's doing the overlay in the virtual space. But it still basically gives you the same result, which is that you see the world and you see signal laid over. Right, it's passing through a camera, but I, I, yeah, I would still call that augmented reality, yeah. Right, well, I think it's interesting because it gets a little fuzzy there, but yeah, I, I would also say that that's augmented reality. That's a, a technological version that happens now. For example, there's um, an app out that will do real-time translation of signs, right? So you hold it up to a sign that's written in Chinese, and you will see subtitles of the same sign in English printed over the sign uh, in real time on your phone. Uh, and then one other category is uh, what's called projection mapping, or the other term for it is spatial augmented reality. Right. So this is augmented reality where the augmentation is happening on the real object, right? So you're talking about right. basically taking a projector of some kind and projecting an image onto an object. And then the mapping part is that there's 3D software in the computer that's accounting for the way the light's going to hit the building so that it looks a particular way. It's, it's a way to correct for the real world shape that's being projected onto right, it. Right, right, right. So that the image that you're projecting looks right. That's what that distinguishes is. it from just from a just projection. From just pointing a projector at yeah. a building. Yes, exactly. It so. takes into account the shape of the object you're right. projecting it on. Yeah. Right. So then the next hardware revolution, right, that's going to come up, that's going to maybe replace headsets, is contact lenses. There are people working on this. I've seen some... Preliminary research, I think I saw something that said like they got a pixel or something <laughs> right. yeah. in a contact lens, which sounds hilariously pathetic, but you know, you get two pixels next year, you get four pixels, eight right. pixels. And in a few years, you've got 
uh, of an HD display in there. So that sounds promising and gross, maybe a little bit because you have to stick them in your eye. Well, I wear contacts, so it's not gross to me. But uh, well, I used to wear contacts, and I don't partially because I found it gross. <laughs> I have no problem with contacts, so yeah, I'd, I'd be an early adopter. Bring and you'd them on. Be left behind in the dust. I, I will. I'd be getting the uh, high performance glasses version have more onboard processing in the ear pieces or something right well and this is obviously like the the end game on the you know is it uh not ugly question because right now it disappear basically gone right wear whatever if you want to wear glasses on top of it for vanity reasons go for it okay so next up we want to talk about interface uh voice commands Right. That's an obvious pairing with this technology. Sure. And that's something that's already been getting better, so it should dovetail easily. And the HoloLens uses voice commands. Google Glass uses voice commands. So this is what they're using. They currently. get it. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but also hand gestures. Because, I mean, for these augmented reality uh, head-mounted displays to work properly, they usually need, you know, front-facing cameras that can see what the real world is like and where things are and yeah, how far they away they are. Yeah, they generally have an array of sensors that's highly useful data for these systems. Right. So if your hand is in front of those sensors, it should be able to pick that it up. It should be able to know. I mm-hmm. mean, in the same way that, you know, Microsoft Connect works, for example, I think that that would be very natural. And you could, of course, combine that with virtual interfaces that you could touch, you know, buttons that are hovering in the air, things of that nature. Right. And there's been some progress on that front in the VR world because this is useful for VR as well. Was that the leap motion, right? Is leap the, motion. Is the yes. sensor. That's uh, one that we tried out. It's not perfect, but it's pretty good. You can see that working in not too much time. And uh, here's where we can reference the wonderful drawings from Magic Leap's patent application, which we'll link to, because oh, yeah. if you haven't these checked these awesome. out, they're very amusing. Yeah. Uh, but one of the things that was in there was the idea of like a waist-high radial dial. So you have essentially a hula hoop interface around your body, you know, and like maybe to your right, like takes you to your email and right. maybe to well, your left. There's little like icons, right? That are sort of on it. Yeah. They so sort of wave at or something. So that like follows you around and then you just kind of like, you know, swipe at the thing you want, I guess. And they also had, you know, a lot of other illustrations of different, you know, basic hand gestures that we know from, you know, tablets and phones like pinching and expanding and things of that. Right. Another thing that was like featured really prominently in in like the Magic Leap stuff was the idea of like a totem. Did you see this? Right. And I've seen some of this in other AR things. This is like a card or a cube or some like object that a real world object that computer is trained to recognize very well. Right. And so it, it can recognize it easily and it uses it either to indicate where a surface is or to input commands or. Right. So like, yeah, some examples would be like a cube where each side of the cube is a different application or a keychain where each key takes you to a different application. Oh, God. The last thing I want is like keys that I can lose that open my applications. Oh, God. Now, where, where are <laughs> my let's, keys? Let's please never do that world. <laughs> It's like but it, I like the idea of like a early pencil. in the morning and you got to respond to an email and you can't find your Gmail key. Oh God, I, this is a nightmare. This is an utter nightmare. Yeah. Yeah, I hate this idea. I mean, obviously, don't do this. obviously that would not happen, but that's amusing to think about. Um, uh, a paintbrush was another example. That's a cool example. I, I like the idea of just like a pencil. Yeah. Like if I had a pencil that was a real pencil, but that was, you know, maybe it was just trained to recognize like a regular yellow pencil. Mm-hmm. And whenever I picked one of those up, uh, you could draw in the air. I could draw in the air. I could point at anything in the interface that I wanted and it would select it. 
yeah, I could sketch and it would save it as a sketch. I could write letters and it would save them as text. Yeah. That sounds awesome to me. If anybody is thinking about AR interfaces, I want a pencil. Yeah, well, and I think there's also the possibility of something that's like made to be an interface, like a keyboard, but the keyboard is blank, say. This was another thing that was Oh, yeah, and then the AR interface projects... The keys that you need. The keys or whatever that you need. Yeah. And it can become like a giant NES controller when you play a game or something. And then I also think like a... I I don't think people should rule out just even though it's not as sexy as these other options, like just some sort of dedicated controller, like whether it's your smartphone or just some sort of pocket remote or like wand type device, I feel like that's liable to work extremely well and easily when some of these other things might be glitchy and just be kind of how we're used to interacting with things. Right. I mean, there's no reason why I can't just use a wireless mouse with this actually. Or if you want to be able to walk around, I could imagine like essentially like a wand that's got like a wheel thing on it. Right. Or a touch surface. Almost like an, like, one of those smaller iPods um, or like a Wii moat kind of thing. So anyways, off of interface, now we're moving into like software and out of hardware. Let's say you've got a fancy magic leap device on your face that can create these augmented reality objects in your world with you. And let's say that it actually works. Then I think you have kind of an interesting distinction that you can make about these software objects, which is like, where do you anchor them So, for example, you can anchor them to your vision itself, meaning like it's just kind of an overlay like you would see when you're playing a video game or something like just like a ticker in the corner or like a status bar or something like that. But you could also have it follow either your head or your body around like the the radio dial interface that we were talking about earlier so that it goes wherever you go, but it's not just like a static thing in front of your vision. You know, it actually, when you look to the right or left, you see something slightly different. And then finally, you could, you could anchor it to another object, like the totem we were talking about, or you could anchor it to another person. You could make Right, your, like you look at somebody yeah. and then their, their name appears under their face. Exactly. That, so that person always has their name on it. Or any person just immediately goes through your facial recognition thing and their name just appears under their face. Right. But you also might say, uh, I need to remember to do this for Ted. So I'm going to put a sticky note on Ted. So every time I see him, he doesn't know it's there, but there's a sticky note on his forehead that's reminding me of something Um, that I need to tell Ted. See, at at school, this is going to be a disaster, right? I imagine these sticky notes saying, kick me. That's, uh, yes. Or I could put a virtual dunce cap on your head. Yeah. I could do, I do whatever I want in my AR world. Uh, And then the last thing would be like, and this is the one I feel like the Magic Leap is touting the most, it'd be like anchoring to a location. So every time I go into the kitchen, there's an interface that I've specially designed for the kitchen that tells me things that are relevant to that space or whatever. Or there's always like a cute little robot in the den because that's some weird game that I'm playing. Or you sit down at your desk to work and your desktop computer metaphor just sort of appears on your desk. Right, exactly. I have no real computer. I merely have the computer that I've assigned to be at well, like you this need, desk. You need like an interface to work with whatever software you're working with. You need, and so you've just assigned it to live here at the desk. I think that idea of like anchoring to different places like shows that there's like a lot of different types of possibilities. Another thing is, and we mentioned this earlier, is that it's going to be really useful for the augmented reality to have some knowledge of the environment that it's in. Right. There's just more and more it can do, the more it knows. And there's been a lot of progress on this front. So we can expect that even early gen uh, AR systems are going to have some serious awareness. Right. But I also think there's going to be 
pretty strong limits there in these early generation products. And I, I don't know exactly where those will be, but really? it seems like anything that's being currently deployed in cell phones is going to be small and cheap enough to get deployed in these devices. Right. So the HoloLens has a bunch of, has an accelerometer, it has a gyroscope, it has a magnetometer, has a GPS, it has the front facing camera, which can detect depth and so on. But then, you know, you take all these sensors and it's still like, so for example, one of the HoloLens demos apparently has a video game character running across the couch that's in the room. But this is happening in a room in Microsoft that they've carefully set up for, you know, reporters to walk into and, sure, and, be, demo. and right. be impressed by. And so I'm, I'm wondering, like, how easy is it going to be for my HoloLens to figure out where my couch is? To, like, map your couch location at home and then allow the video game guy to run around it. Or even in the Magic Leap demo, there's the one where the robot's under the table and the table leg obscures it, right? So right. it knows that there's an object in the way. Now, again, if you have a depth sensing camera, this is all possible. I'm just skeptical of how well it'll work in the early days. Really? I don't know. Okay, well, we can disagree about that. I feel like these sensors are cheap and small. Yeah, IR, dual video for depth, and the accelerometer and such that you mentioned, that stuff should give the glasses a lot of spatial awareness. Now, even better spatial awareness could be gotten if you actually pre-map your spaces somehow, right? Right, I think if you train this stuff to your environment... So, for example, you might have to, first time you run a game like walk around your house with the glasses on, looking up and down every few steps or something like that to video map and also map by step the space. Yeah, I imagine having to calibrate it a little bit. Again, there's another totally pretend demo that I saw that's like clearly not something real. I think it was for Magic Leap where like enemies are bursting out of the wall, you know? Okay, I didn't and, see And you got to shoot them as they come out. Uh-huh. So I would imagine that a game like that, you'd have to calibrate into like, okay, this is the wall I'm going to use. Use right. this wall. Uh, and it would, you know, it'd probably sense that there was a surface there. Right. But I feel like, you know, you can't just like turn it on in your house and like all of a sudden it can use your house as like the perfect set for a zombie movie or something. Like, it's going to have to... Right. It's going to have to somehow map that space. Yeah. So either you're walking around with your glasses on, or maybe they send you a drone pack, and you let the drones loose, and they fly around scanning your house, and then return and have made a map of it. Right. That's my only other idea for how to do that. Yeah, well, you and know... that sounds maybe expensive, like single-use drones. But I guess maybe they can fly themselves home when they're but done. But all, all these technologies get better and help each other. So right. maybe maybe that's not as absurd as it first sounds. Okay, well, let's finally get to, um, like, uses of, of AR. Right, why would you want this? Um, particularly, why would you want this over virtual reality, right? Yeah, I think that's a useful way to frame it because, like, a lot of the things that sound exciting about augmented reality, you could just do in virtual reality. And we want to emphasize that while augmented reality is coming quickly, virtual reality is basically here. <laughs> like, you can get a not terrible virtual reality experience in a store today. Well, and it's essentially a lot easier to do because you're, you're, just, you're just processing this virtual signal. You don't have to try to somehow composite that with what's around the person. It's just a... AR is a much harder task. Right. Well, it's inherently real-time, which is processor intensive and since it's also going for a pretty extreme level of realism it's a lot easier to calculate these worlds fully inside a computer and just have virtual uh, reality you have a lot more control in that space 
And so like, you know, when I look at the, you know, one of the HoloLens examples is like, oh, you can design a 3D object on your desk. And like, isn't that better than like looking at a flat computer screen? Meaning that you can basically sculpt rather than, you know, using the typically obscure 3D modeling tools that are in, say, Maya or something like that. Right. And I would agree that, you know, modeling in the real world of three dimensions is going to be easier. But at the same time, that could just be a VR app. Right. If your hands are detected well, that's really the key element, right? Then then it'll work whether it's VR or AR because you'll still be able to see your hands and use your hands to manipulate the object and turn the object around in space. And that's just going to be much more natural. The benefit that I could see though of an AR system for doing that is if you wanted to work with other people on the same object at the same time. Ah, okay. Now you could do that in VR, of course, because you could all beam in. But I think what would be better in the AR example is that you could easily talk to and see your partner's faces as you work. And so the social element of the work would be, I think, greatly enhanced by having access to some real world visual data there, particularly what their faces look like. Right, right. Okay. So this is one of the reasons I think you would pick AR over VR is like, it's social and not, not that VR can't be social, but it's just so it's social in a way that not everybody has to opt in and put on a headset to do it. Right. Right. There could also be somebody who's not actually working, but is standing nearby. And That's you what I'm imagining. You're in an office. Sure. And one of your coworkers, like Kathy, is like leaving to get coffee. And she's like, hey, do you want anything? And you can look up from the model that you're working on and just say, yeah, get me X thing. And that's like a seamless interaction that doesn't involve you like removing a headset. Right. right? And almost feeling like you're in a new place because that's how VR kind of is. So a- another place where like you would choose augmented reality over over virtual reality would be, I mean, you've got a real world task that has to be done. Right. Virtual reality isn't going to help you do anything in the real world. It, so. it eventually, you know, maybe we'll all exist as virtual beings that don't need to eat or sleep and, you know. Well, more important, more germanely, maybe eventually there'll be robots that can do all real world tasks with us controlling them in VR. Well, I mean, they're, they're both pretty right? far off. So, but, but for the time being, if you need to fix your car, you need to use a, a wrench inside the engine. There's nothing you can do about it. That's where the problem okay, is. Okay, so let's let's talk about fixing your car, right? So I would right. say that's, that's a case where you could still fix your car while looking at a manual or your phone or a laptop, but the AR would make it less difficult because your attention now is less divided. You're not looking... One second at the manual, then one second at the car, one moment at like something. And if it's really well made content, depends what the content is, but if the content's really programmatic and and really well made, it can be detecting the next step and leading you to it directly so that there's, it's almost seamless. So for example, uh, let's say I don't know how to fix my car. I need to, let's do something easy, change my oil. I've never done it before. Right. I open up the thing, the oil cap starts blinking and it says, remove this, use a rag. <laughs> you know, I do. It says, this is where you put the, th- you know, it, it gives you the next step. It, it overlays it directly onto the location. It figures it all out for you. And you just basically have to follow the steps. And, you know, that's the best case scenario of like a really interactive uh, car maintenance tutorial that could run on an AR platform. Right, exactly. And you never have to take your eyes off the thing you're doing. You never even have to stop what you're doing because you're just led through each step on an as-needed basis. Right, and you can go to more extreme examples where taking your eyes off of the thing would be very bad, like, say, driving. 
right? Everybody, you know, uses now navigation directions often when they're driving and, and you can have ones that are, that are read to you. But if you could see something in front of you as you're driving, and there's, you know, various companies that are working on this, some by, you know, enhancing the windshield itself. And, and I imagine also if you had glasses you could wear around, they'd be capable of doing this. Then you can keep your eyes on the road right. while still having that information in front of you. So again, your, your attention is less split between two things. Although really, given the timescale we're talking about here, by the time this is really good, you're not going to have to look at the road anyway because the car will drive itself. This is true. So let's pick another example. Like the classic one that everybody brings up would be like, say, performing surgery or something. Something like really or like... Right. Well, and performing surgery is the one use case that Google was able to find for their right. supposedly failed product that just came out. So this is something that clearly even just look up relevant information while you're in the act of performing surgery is probably tremendously useful in a hands-free, in-your-face version, right? But you could imagine really good surgery software that's just like the car software that we were just talking about, where it, like the correct vein to pull back lights up, you know, that sort of thing, to the extent where like you'd need to be a, le- a far less experienced surgeon in order to perform successful surgery than you currently need to be. Yeah, I mean, it, this is sort of removing friction, right? It's like, because you could still, you know what it is, it makes it faster. So like, that's why I think why the car example, even if we do have self-driving cars and, and surgery is relevant, because you need to be quick, right? So like, even if you had right. like well, a also perfectly you make, written tutorial that you could refer to, or like a- You don't like, have time for that. You don't have time to necessarily look away. Right. You, every second counts. Right. And you need to make a lot of split second decisions and identify things correctly, where if you have some kind of software that's helping you make those identifications and keeping you from making mistakes, you can probably improve outcomes. Right. I well, and then emergency and search and rescue would be like another situation where like every second counts. Every second counts. At every type of detection method, you know, you want to use that you have access to. So, you know, we already use things like infrared to try to find people in search and rescue. But if that was just on your face and you were getting that information all the time and you had AI that could scan it and be like, yeah, this seems like it might be a human. Look here. Uh, you know, you could, again, you could save more people. Right. This what seems it- like real valuable. And here's a couple less dramatic ones would be translation, right? If you get the subtitles immediately rather than looking, like maybe you have like a perfect translator in your pocket that you could look down at, but if it just appears in your vision. Well, again, this is one of the cases where there's already an AR product using cell phones, but you hold up the phone and it composites the video through the phone so that you don't have to check the phone and then check the object. You know, it's, it's exactly solving that problem. And you could imagine that just being pervasive and everywhere you look, every sign being magically written into English or whatever language you speak. And every time someone speaks, subtitles appearing in your native language anchored to your vision in the way that subtitles are in a movie, kind of. Right, right, right. Uh, Which would be a major game changer for all kinds of communication. I mean, I would think that that would make talking to people who don't speak your language as accessible as foreign films are now, which sounds like it's a joke, but it's not. I mean, that's a tremendous amount of... You know, even though there are a lot of people who are like, oh, I don't, I don't, know. I don't like, foreign films I don't like subtitles, you know, I mean, there is like a certain like, you know, silly, but truthfully, lots of people watch foreign language films uh, all over the world and, and get lots of access to content because of that. And, and if you 
extend that to just conversation that would drastically increase the number of people oh, you could su- successfully talk to, which would in- encourage all kinds of things. Yeah, it'd be revolutionary. It'd be one of those, I mean, the world, you know, feels like it's sort of getting smaller and so on, but this would be one of those things that really... Tightens the noose. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, that's a weirdly <laughs> morbid way to put it, but... Well, no, I mean, it just cinches everybody closer together. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I didn't mean to go for such a dark image. I don't know why that's what popped up. Um, but yes. I do know. I think that would be revolutionary in a really positive way, actually. I think like business, for example, would benefit greatly from all the people who speak all the various languages being able all of a sudden to to speak successfully. With well, one speaking another. of business, another but use case. It also makes God very angry, right? There's a, there's a, <laughs> there's a story about Oh, the this. babble thing? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not concerned about that so much. But, no, uh, me neither. But yeah, speaking of business, like another use case where speed matters would be advertising, you know, because they want to they want to get you right at that moment when you're looking at the thing that's relevant. Right. So if it's context aware and it hears you talking about something, I mean, just imagine basically the way Gmail ads work, but in your life. So I'm sitting here, I'm talking to you. I'm like, man, I need to get new shoes. My shoes are old. And then like, I look over at the wall and there is a giant ad for shoes. Whereas like without the AR, you know, maybe later, like even five minutes later, you look down at your phone. For something like shoes, you'll probably still need them. But if it's like an impulse buy, like they want to get you right then, right? They don't want you like... For some people, shoes are an impulse buy. Not me, but... No, I, I, I wear my shoes until they fall apart. I do too. So so let, let's recap a little bit. So like, I mean, basically these are all just reducing friction, right? I mean, it's making it like faster, like you don't have to divide your attention as much. It's like easier to interact with people socially that aren't yeah. necessarily... Really, this is just yeah. the cell phone revolution again. It's like cell phones did all this stuff. They took all these things that computers and telephones could do and put them in our pockets and made us carry them around. And it was revolutionary and it's created tons of of growth. And this is just going to take cell phones and strap them into our faces and make them even more useful. There's a way in which, as opposed to VR, which feels like maybe a new thing, which... A medium. Like like a new media, yeah. yeah. This feels more like an evolution of the existing portable computing just into a better form. Some of the other bullet points that we have here is that it can make, again, these unavoidable like real world tasks that you have to do anyways, right? Like it make them less boring, right? Right. So it can increase gamification basically. Well, I mean, gamification is I think the main the strategy way right. you would do this. Right. Although I, I'm not sure it's the only one, but like if you got it, you got to exercise. Right. Exercise is a great example. So an obvious thing to do is turn exercise into a game give you points, give you obstacles. If I went to the park in the morning and ran and I had the option of switching on a game that I could, I don't know, grab coins while I was running or something, I'm sure I would do it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, same with like, you know, boring uh, chores that you have to do. Right. Every time you wash a dish, you get a point, something happens. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that would be pretty sophisticated if it knew like when a dish was done or, like, being washed. A, but a, a mermaid appeared on the dish and thanked you, or like something, you know? Oh man, if there was just like <laughs> right, a, and then just dump down the drain. Well, okay, so let's like move away from gamification for a second and take that example of the mermaid. Like, like because one of the things that it's just can, a reward. Well, just to make stuff less boring is just decoration, right? Right. So if there's like sea creatures and mermaids and shit in your sink when you're doing the dishes, <laughs> like there's no game there, but that's just cool. Well, there could be. But I mean, yeah. there could be, but there, does there need to be? Like, Not necessarily. No. Or maybe like your like, you know, boring apartment with its like white walls, like just looks cooler. Well, right. I mean, it potentially reduces the need for expensive decorations and allows you to virtually decorate your space, depending on how often you wear these things. I'm assuming that they're kind of like the way that I wear my 
regular glasses, which is just all the time. Right. But I guess it's possible that people wouldn't choose to wear them all the time, uh, in which case it'd be less useful for decoration replacement. Or I'm pretty sure like one of the examples in the um, uh, magically patent application was like sort of virtual yoga buddies. Like, so you're doing yoga on okay. your floor and then like, all, I, I don't know why so you would want like this. that's like social but, exercise. Well, it's social, right? It's like you... But they're like... I don't... I, oh, yeah, they're I don't fake? Know, I don't, or are they real? Well, I guess they could be either, right? So, I mean, maybe maybe you make them real and that's... That well, feels better. If they're your actual friends, then it's like the motivating factor. It's yes. like, we all decided to do yoga at 7 a.m. So I'm going to do it because I'm not going to be the one who lets my friends down. And then we do it and we see each other doing it. And that reinforces that we all showed up. But like we can all be in our own home. We don't have to drive anywhere. And uh, like I don't do yoga, but if I was somebody who did yoga, that would make me more likely to do it. Right. But if they're just like we people or whatever, I mean, other than like just the practical help of seeing the form and therefore hopefully doing it better yourself. Really what I want is better body sensors so that the computer can be really good at telling me when my form is bad, right? The really primitive version of that is like the Wii Fit or whatever, which is just like two scales. It's a pretty simple system. Right. Uh, A more complicated system with more sensors could be more instructive which that's a cool app but that sort of falls outside of our uh, our definition but oh, um, yeah no that's just yeah. a video game i'm just saying like that's a sensor that's available is, yeah is all i'm saying yeah that's clearly just a video game <laughs> so so two more things that i think make ar more useful than vr and one's big and one's small so uh-huh. the big one is ar can leverage what the real world is still better at now we can imagine that vr will get to a place that it's like the matrix and it's just perfect in every way right but i think for a long time vr is going to engage Two out of five of your senses really well, audio and video, and AR is just going to do a much better job with the other three. So if you want to like right. eat a sandwich while you're it's like chipping away a touch, engaging with some other like augmented experience, you know, if you want to play a game that's physical and involves running around, I mean, you could like have some kind of crazy VR gyroscope, omnidirectional treadmill or something, or right. you could just have like an open empty room and a field yeah yeah and a field and ar glasses i mean if you think about like larping basically mm-hmm. and you combine that idea with the magic leap demos right you can immediately imagine i think a really compelling gaming implementation of ar where you go to a big field with a bunch of other people and they have absurd costumes maybe they have like a totem hanging around their neck or something they have like absurd costumes composited onto them in real time a whole world of changes uh, to the environment is composited on in real time. And maybe there's like a real ball or real flags or whatever the physical objects well, you, can the the you can smell the grass. You can smell the grass. You can yell at other people and hear their voices and see their faces. But you also get all these fantasy elements and game elements. Ah, faces are another thing too. Like, because faces are in another sense, but faces, I think, are going to, are just, they're so expressive in the real world. It's, there's just, you know, everybody knows about the Uncanny Valley. And like, obviously, it will get better the um, ability to pick up facial expressions and represent them in VR. But for a long time, AR is just going to do better at reading emotion from faces because we're, we're hardwired to detect really minute changes in facial expression. Well, so the progression here is kind of, Here's how I see it happening, right? We have our our VR revolution that includes like really good audio and video. Yep. And maybe a little bit of haptic stuff worked in. Well, like I think steady growth in the haptics. Right. And then eventually we get the AR stuff to work pretty well. Yep. And at that point, the VR is still not good enough at the haptics and at the smell and the taste and so on. It's not going to be close. To like really compete. So at that point, like AR comes from behind and pulls ahead. 
And then eventually, farther in the future, like VR just obsoletes AR completely because, you know... Or things like projection mapping just get more and more complex to the point where there's no meaningful difference between AR and VR, and the entire world is augmented because we've got, you know, pervasive nanotech rebuilding the physical space as well as pervasive nanotech rebuilding your mind and jacking your senses... And at that point, well, and yes, at the, the end, whole it, thing is just software. At the end, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and now we've reached the end of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> There's literally nothing left to talk. Well, about. hold on. No, no, no. We're, we're, that's not true. We keep listening. We yes, but uh, don't turn us off yet. Well, so that was a really big one, right? Like, is that it? That AR leverages what the real world is still better at than VR, whatever that is, and that's a moving target, right? But, like the other small one that I wanted to bring up, actually, there's two small ones, right? One is just like people say VR makes them sick. AR is going to do that. Yeah. At least, you know, like the technology that we're seeing that may be turned out to be vaporware is at least claiming it doesn't do that. Right. I haven't used it. So. Uh, some people apparently had some issues with Google Glass because it forces you to sort of focus on something very close, which if you're doing that all day can be tiring. But it seems that the next gen AR glasses are just not going to have that problem. Right. Yeah. So that's one advantage. And then the last advantage in this one, I think is, I don't even know if I buy this, but I mentioned earlier, like if you could play a zombie game in your house, there's a value add because it's your house. It's kind of a level of personalization that, yeah, VR could do, I guess, if it's scanned and remodeled your house. But I mean, I don't know. I mean... Well, VR personalization is going to be different. It's going to be like you design your own level. Yeah. It's going to be like Minecraft or something. Whereas the kind of personalization that would be unique to AR is this zombie thing that you're talking about, where like it skins your personal house, and then in your house, you and all your friends can experience a zombie apocalypse or something like that, where they're breaking through your windows and your doors. And I think that's really dependent on how well the game designers can take advantage of the information to map out relevant details about your house and then somehow generate a level or a game or a system or whatever based on that information Mm -hmm. that that uses it well. Because this could be super gimmicky if it's not personalized in a way that makes it better. Well, that's the thing is like the first time like Mario runs across your table and you're like he's on my dining room table that's cool but yeah that's a gimmick that will wear out and then eventually you'll be like well they have a lot more control and it's a lot less glitchy if i just play mario in vr well the thing is like mario is a basically a puzzle right where like the design of the board the design of the level is what makes it interesting to a large extent right it's got this yes it's a real challenge to like that the layout of your house is magically going to be the best level design exactly how are you going to have a fun level to play in your house unless it's somehow able to figure out like okay every horizontal surface in this area is like somewhere mario can run and then we're gonna like real-time design a level around that using some kind of ai that designs levels that's gonna be fun yeah and that's like replacing a like a smart level designer and now we're like human level ai basically i mean that sounds really hard to do maybe there's tricks that i can't think of that you could come up with that would allow you to do that you could do it well enough for a gimmicky game that I think would run out of steam pretty But quickly. I feel like it would be very hard to make that more compelling than just a level that a real game designer created in a cutting-edge game system. So shall we move on now to, uh, to implications? Yeah. I mean, let's talk about the impact of this technology on culture, because that's what we do here at Review the Future. Yeah, the sometimes there's a lot of stuff to get out of the way first, though. I know. <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> We have to figure out what we're talking about. I kind of punted on the social stuff earlier because that came up, and but there's really a lot to talk about here, right? So 
yeah, the implications of uh, widespread adoption of this technology are is just really, really far-reaching. Number one, no longer is everyone seeing the same reality at the same time. And just that alone... <laughs> I mean, on a certain level of control, that means that there is no objective reality anymore if people aren't experiencing it. I mean, once people start tinkering with their reality on this level, it chips away at the ontological, like, reality of the world to some degree. Right. Well, and I talked about earlier about how, like, I could put, like, a sticky note on your face. And I don't know it's there. And I could also, um... But I can... You could also make your partner look like a famous movie star. It's weird because it also implies that people no longer have sort of control over their own image. I mean, not that people really do exactly anyways, but they have some measure of control because of... Well, right, within the limits of physics and everything. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And now it's just like, you can just be like, nope, I'm going to so like make I'm, Ted into a dinosaur. Right. If you don't... Every like, time I see him, he's a dinosaur now. Oh. Uh, you're probably doing that already in your head, I think. I mean, it, it requires extreme <laughs> mental energy, so it just it just will save me the trouble. I see. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, that's really far-reaching and interesting. Like, you could have people having just really drastically different aesthetic experiences of the world. I mean, physical things obviously are not affected by this. So if you get hit by a bus, it's going to hurt no matter what the bus looks like. But, you know, you could look and see a LA City bus. I could look at the same bus and see a London double-decker bus because that's just what I prefer to see. When I look at a bus. Yeah, I've got the cartoon filter on and and you've got the steampunk filter on and Exactly. You know. Yeah, I mean it depends how the technology works, but if we're talking about, you know, jacking in at our sense level or even really highly advanced contact lens type level, potentially you could be real time reimagining the entire world. So all kinds of things that are really determinative of your experience, like architecture these days, become aesthetically irrelevant. If I don't like that it's a strip mall on the corner because I think it's ugly, it can just not be. It can just be a 25-story building in my mind that just isn't really there. I can subscribe to an alternate Los Angeles that is maybe designed by people who don't like the way it looks, and they could just make it different for you know a fraction of the cost of actually changing anything. A related thing uh-huh. to this uh, is the idea of like secrets, right? So th- there's a couple ways this could manifest. I mean, just imagine three right. people are out at a bar together, right? There's a lot of possibilities for two people to see something that the third person doesn't, just as, as an example. So maybe two people see the silly kick me sign on the third person's head and they don't they're they're not in on the joke right right right. uh or maybe it's just that i want to send you a message and yes technically i could send you a text message using today's technology right but it's now maybe a lot easier mid-conversation to sort of send a textual message directly into your field of view well that's the thing is that uh there's two pieces of information that you can't escape leaking if you send me a text message now right one is that you are sending someone a message because like, I'm looking down. You're looking down at your phone and they can see that. They don't see the content of the message. But then also if I receive the message and I look at my phone, then they know that I probably received the message because the timing is suspicious, right? Right. So a third party who's at all paying attention is going to notice, you sent Ted a message while we were talking, didn't you? <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, and you're going to be caught. If you have pervasive surveillance and uh, we have, you know, maybe we can read some biometrics off of you from video cameras or something that are around 
then you'd have even less privacy. If you even if you even pull your phone out, you know, they might be able to angle around and see what you're typing, for example. Sure. Um, so it seems like privacy is eroding in general, but this might be a blow in favor of privacy if you can subvocalize or use your finger in your pocket or something like that to write a text message and then send it to me just with a look and I can read it in my glasses without any external indication that I'm not paying attention. Right. Or actually, then I'm not giving up. Yeah. And actually that reminds me like that one of the interface ideas that we forgot to mention earlier is eye tracking. So like maybe I have like a simple menu of right. commands that I can just sort of you like can look blank at, and at. Blank once or something. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, let's say, you know, we're hanging out with our, our boss, Andrew, no, no offense to people named Andrew. And like, I Andrew, turn to you such and I'm a terrible boss. Exactly. That's I'm like I'm like this guy Andrew is such an asshole, right? Yeah. And I can send you that, and Andrew has no idea. Right. Now here's the thing: if we're using augmented reality that's provided by the company, then we still are in the same problem with privacy, right? Like it, well, depends, it depends on who controls on, the platform, right? It depends on the platform and the service, and if we think that these things are going to be like phones and that they're going to be relatively open and that you can, you know, we could be running uh, a side chat program that's not the company program and then of course we're chatting with andrew in the company program and that's where we say we both really appreciate all of the time you've yeah. done with us mr andrew and then we're on our side program we're going you know this moron once right so our privacy up. is still like invaded by like say google or the government or those sort of things but but andrew is none the wiser that we're making fun of him well, right i mean so much of this technology just seems to erode our de facto privacy but right. this is a, a rare case where it seems to actually increase the factor. It puts some of it back in, which I think is, is right. really fascinating. It actually maybe puts some of what we're used to actually back into our lives that might get lost. The other issue is like these days, people, if they're tuning you out, they might like look at their phone, you know, and do something else. And But you can see them doing that. So you're like, hey, pay attention to me. Look up for a second. Yeah. But in this world, are they paying attention to you? Right. Well, you somebody could be looking right at you and not paying any Smiling attention Smiling and you. nodding. And I'm thinking the people that will be really good either at pretending like they're paying attention or actually just doing both. Just like, I think this will really reward good multitaskers. Yeah, especially people who can auditorily split their attention, like see something and pay attention to it while listening to something and pay attention to it, which some people have trouble with. But uh, if you're good at that, this should be a great world for you because you can kind of listen to what your friends are saying while you're scrolling through pictures or whatever it is. Right, exactly. Yeah. And and I think some people will some people will just be able to do that well, I think, and they'll just be twice as efficient as the rest of us. Right, right. But if you get caught doing it, I bet there'll be a social cost. Well, we'll be like, I think he's never completely there when we're talking to him, but right. he's but I can't catch him at it. Well, of yeah. course you can't catch him because you're going to be like, well, what did I just say? And then his life logging program is going to immediately tell him what you just said, and he's just going to say it. That no longer works as a test. Yeah. yeah. So you're just there's no real way for you to. Know. I feel like that never works as a test, anyways, because I always feel like even when I'm not paying attention, I can often answer that question because there's like almost like a short term memory bank that things go into and then get dumped out of. Do you have this experience? Yeah, that happens to me. Like where it's like, I really wasn't listening, but I, I have this ability to rewind like five seconds at least. Right, right. Yeah. Like I, I, you asked me what you said a minute ago, I don't know. But right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's true. I have that too. And I also feel like I sometimes have the opposite where I was paying attention and I could probably summarize or restate what you're saying, but I don't know what you just said. Right. Because <laughs> like you distracted me for one second and now it's gone. 
that same short-term memory bank got flushed. Right. But yeah, I mean, those things do happen, and I think uh, that's going to go away. Now, one social implication of this that you and I have talked about, because we've been trying to work this into our thing, is... uh, Into our graphic novel. Into our graphic novel, is uh, this idea of a cool usage of this stuff would be to programmatically give you real-time social advice. Right, and we also did discuss this on our um, personal assistant. Right. Episode Because this is something a personal assistant software would definitely want to do if it could. So if the AR glasses have access to a lot of data, especially um, video and biometric data where they can um, tell things about you like how nervous are you or how likely are you to be lying right now or how upset are you, it could then use that data as long uh, as well as a conversational awareness to actually give you advice in your glasses about the people you're dealing with and what might work to persuade them or uh, make them happy. Right. And and it has the same issue, which is like, they'll, they won't know if you're using it or not. So, and they'll also potentially be using it yeah. on you. So it'll be a real arms race too. <laughs> I can see a kind of politeness arms race resulting from this. I mean, I think the big picture here is that because people are no longer looking at screens in this augmented reality future, like now there's like kind of an opposition between technology and being social. And it's a bit of a false dichotomy. I think it gets overblown and over-exaggerated, but it still does exist. I mean, generally, like the people you're with in the room, you're not interacting with them if you're looking at the screen. And this kind of collapses that. And I think the result is you get to some of these weird places where right 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 screens are all for lack of a better term virtual realities right and when you bring that same type of data and interactivity into your native field of view it becomes something else i mean augmented reality is a great phrase it it says exactly what it is it's different in a qualitative way even though all the things that it does are basically things we do with computers and phones and computing devices now, it'll be a really different experience living in a world where computing is just sort of everywhere because it's in your eyes. Right. It'll be a pervasive computing world, even though it's not literally a pervasive computing world, because subjectively it's a pervasive computing world. That's, I think, the really amazing revolution that's at the end of this, is that at the end of it, the computer is everywhere. Wherever you need a computer is where it is. Well, yeah, I mean, the computers are eating the world. But, I mean, it's such an end run around that, because we don't have to literally put a computer everywhere. We can just strap one to your face, and then everywhere you look, you essentially see a computer. Right, because like given your example earlier of like there's nothing on your desk at work, it's just the place that you work, right. and there's a virtual computer that appears there. Well, it's like a compu- virtual workspace. Like it's not, it's not like you don't need to have a virtual box, but you need uh, whatever the space is that you're working in, whether it's two or three D space. You know, a piece of paper, a typewriter, a series of files, a um, a canvas, a sculpting. Well, so this could reverse the right? trend of like the fact that. You know, I have more computer devices than ever before, right? I have, like, my pocket-sized phone, computer device. The dream device. of convergence is what we're talking about? I mean, this is, I think, a plausible direction. Like, again, I could get rid of my phone. I could get rid of my laptop. I could get rid of my desktop. I could get rid of my TV. I could actually... I right. mean, I'm not saying that'll actually happen because I think there's probably reasons why that won't necessarily no i think that would will happen uh if this stuff gets good enough i i think you'll carry around something that is your computing device because processors 
are always going to be bigger than contact lenses, I think. Um, but then this will be like your display. It'll replace all of the displays. It'll replace the screen on your phone, the screen on your uh, laptop, the screen on your desktop. Right, so whereas I have like six displays in my life now, I'll have one. You'll have like one display, and then you can probably get away with having one or maybe two CPU-type devices that actually power it. You know, maybe there's a powerful one that sits at home and a less powerful one that you carry everywhere. Or maybe you'd only need the one. That seems like a plausible endgame for this. Right, with CPU being the determining factor rather than today, the determining factor seems to be screen size and, or just size, right? Like we've got small, medium, and large, basically. Right, right. well, screen and battery are like kind of the big, yeah. you know, but screen and battery basically both get strapped to your face yeah. or, or plunged into your eyes. And then... Plunged. <laughs> so, so gross. I hate sticking my finger in my eye anyway uh or you know at some point maybe you're taking a you know a nanobot injection or something uh and it's it's going into your directly into your brain or into your optical nerve or something but uh yeah it replaces all the displays in your life obviously it would be able to just create rectangles and put computer-like images inside those rectangles and maybe you'd use it that way sometimes but i think a lot of times it would be just a purely abstract interface that mostly stays out of your way and anchors to things when it's useful to do so and allows you to do anything that you do with any of those sized computers today just inside your head at a continuously variable size. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you add blinders, a good enough system, you add blinders to it and it's also VR. So, sure, so let's so this talk could about really, that. This yeah. really could be the convergence device that we've all been waiting for. Right, if you have like strap-on shades that like black out the real world, then the same the same device or becomes VR. Or you can VR. like snap your fingers near your eyes and like your contacts just black, you know. I mean, that sounds really cool. I don't know. If I was making a sci-fi movie about it, that's how I'd have it work. Yeah, you have a close-up of like this like black curtain going over the eyes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we can, you know. Uh, <laughs> we can steal that for something. Uh it's not stealing, I guess if you came up with it. Um <laughs> So yeah, I wanted to talk about ep- economic implications, and um, that kind of is one. I mean, if it means you have less devices, that's sort of got economic implications. But mostly I wanted to talk about this fact that you can train people more easily, and you can provide remote assistance to people more easily. And uh, I don't know, that could actually that could actually create jobs. Right. I think it might reduce the price of certain currently high-priced services. But I think on net... And I mean, we never get to say this on this podcast. <laughs> if this is your first one, we're not normally this optimistic. But uh, it's my instinct here is that net this is going to create a lot of jobs, maybe by allowing people who are currently, you know, who have expertise but are not in the location where their expertise would be best used, to beam in and see what somebody else is seeing and advise them in real time, and therefore basically transfer their expertise in real time to that other person. There would be a lot of people who'd be willing to pay less than they'd pay for a local expert, but still enough that it'd be worthwhile for that person to do it in a host of fields as diverse as surgery and car mechanics. I mean, those are pretty diverse. Well, there's like, there's two sides to this, right? Because there's like, if you need to train someone for a job, then you can do it more quickly, Right. right? And that was actually like, I think the original name augmented reality came from somebody who was trying to develop uh, a heads-up display for people that were working at Boeing on airplane parts. Oh, really? We should start with that. That's interesting. Yeah. So, 
Like that was the original use case was like getting people to be more efficient in the workplace and right. be able to like do stuff with, you know, relatively less difficult training anyways. But as we were talking about, you take that out to its logical conclusion and you can do stuff where you almost don't need to train the person at all. And that they're just basically a pair of hands manipulating things in the real yeah, world. Yeah, now you might not do that with airplane parts because that's such a sensitive thing. But if it's like a lower risk profession, you might right. just like turn them loose with the tutorial and say like, learn as you go. Right. Like, well, like that's my car me- mechanic example. Yeah. If you, if you can just be guided through it, you might not need a professional mechanic. But that makes more people more employable and it maybe makes it easier for people to shift into new jobs, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that you were talking about is like one of the, the HoloLens use cases is like sort of interweaving it with Skype so that like a technician can like walk you through something right. remotely like you were talking about. Right. And the thing about that is you could automate that, I suppose, right? You could have a really smart algorithm that can see the thing in your house that you're trying to fix and figure it out. But to me, I think it's probably just going to be easier to just remotely send in a person who can like paint on your reality and give you that real time advice. And well, that, that's right. a new job for somebody. Right. right. And for certain things, yeah, the algorithm is going to be hard to write now, maybe like first tier technical support. Like, did you turn it on and back off again? Kind of technical support that might just get automated and delivered through highlights the on button. Yeah. Yeah. It, it highlights where it's not, where it's not plugged <laughs> That'll into be the an wall. easy script. It's right, right. Right. But then if it's, if the obvious things are all correct and you're still having the problem when you get pushed to tier two, those are usually people who actually know what's going on because they have to do creative problem solving on the phone with you. And that's just going to be so much easier for them to do if they can see what you're seeing and they're, they can point to something on their screen and it can get lit up on your screen and stuff like that, all of which would be possible with this technology. Plus, if you add in the real-time translation, they can not be English speakers which would open this up to a lot of, or not be Mandarin Chinese speakers or whatever the customer is. So that would open up a lot of people's expertise to a lot of other people's uh, use. So you could see this unlocking a lot of potential, actually. Yeah, this is not one of those technologies where you immediately feel like, oh God, it's going to destroy all these jobs. It actually feels like on balance, well, maybe it's it's growth. Right, yeah. well, and I think it's because fundamentally it's not an automation technology, right? It's a it's communications technology. It's, it's yeah. taking our existing communications paradigms and just making them better, making them work in even more cases while recreating essentially everything they do. So it's also a phone. It's also a computer. I mean, all those traditional forms would still be served. So yeah, I mean, this looks to me like it's going to be a potential major growth field. So those of you who are out there who keep asking us, and then we get this question occasionally, like what would you bet on to actually add jobs? Say, look at AR. Well, and and like actually that maybe dovetails into something which I want to talk about next because we got, uh, I put a call out for audience questions and we got a few of them. So like Callum Chase called my attention to an, an article that it puts like AR like way ahead of VR in sales, right? So the, the article is just sort of doing some back of the envelope type calculations to figure out like how big these industries will be relative to each other. And it seems to come to the conclusion that the augmented reality industry will be in their numbers like four times the size of the virtual reality industry. That's interesting. And where, uh, how far out are they forecasting? I will post this article so people can look at it in more detail. It looks like I'm glancing at it now. It says 2020, I guess is their date. Got it. So I'm going to give the really quick summary of their point that's oversimplified and you can, people can look at the article, which is, it seems to be saying what you were saying earlier, which is that AR is kind of the extension of tablets and smartphones. Right. So it basically captures that 
market, it can, it can which is enormous, right, right? Right, and that's why they're saying it's so large. Whereas, like VR is replacing things like video games, 3D movies. They mentioned like smaller things like theme parks. Like it's just not as big of a slice of the pie, right? And well, actually, eventually, that, VR yeah. is going to replace television, though. Here's the thing, though: AR will replace VR because AR plus blinders, like we were just talking about, is VR. Well, AR replaces VR, but until VR replaces everything, right? Until right, there's right, no right. difference. Until there's no difference right. between AR and VR, right? But I mean, uh, yeah, that seems like it's pushing a bit further out. So, right? I mean, I would put my money that long term. Talking about 2020, that's five years. I would put money that by 2025, that's right. But I'm not sure. My confidence is low that that's right by 2020 because 2020 is only four years away, and VR is going to start knocking into those video game sales this year, right away. And AR is just not there yet. I mean, uh, it will be soon, but I don't know. 2020 sounds early to me for it to overtake VR. The iPhone of augmented reality, I think, is still a decent ways off. Right, right, right. Um, Even if it comes a lot faster than the distance between, you know, the first Motorola cell phone and the iPhone did, even if it's, you know, a third as long, that still would be like seven years or something. So I think we need to see at least one viable AR product before I'm confident saying within five years, it'll overtake VR. Right. So let's blow through some more of these questions real quickly. So, so Calum Chase also asked, and I think he meant to say AR here, but he said, will VR, I think he meant AR, finally make those predictions about the death of geography come true. What are those predictions about the death of geography? I don't know what he's talking about, but it... We <laughs> I, talked I'm going to claim it, ignorance here because about, I don't really know what he means. We talked about how it would make the world smaller and I, I think... Or yeah. continue that trend. So maybe... I don't know if this is what he means, so maybe I'm totally misreading this, but like, I guess since the internet has been around, there's been a lot of talk of like... Like ge- telecommuting. Like flat earth kind of stuff, ge- geography being less important. Or maybe like of, you don't have to live by the beach because you just like have like a pretend beach out your window with your AR glasses. Right. But you definitely need uh digitized smell for that to really work. So yeah, I guess like he didn't put a link for this one. So okay. I would say it, it does seem to make geography less relevant, but that's just like a continuous trend of all this tech. Yeah. And I think it will continue that uh, and expand it, but I don't know that it will get to the point where we can declare geography to be totally meaningless. I think we need to, you know, get into like jacking our senses before we can do that. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, it, it'd if be you can ensure to call geography dead for sure. So rumors of geography's death have been greatly exaggerated. I would say so. Yeah. yeah. Um, so robot overlords sent us a question. They do another podcast about technology in the future that you guys should check out. What do you most want to use AR for? I want to remember people's names. That's what I'm going to go with. Oh, I realize yeah, that's yeah, kind of yeah, boring, yeah, yeah. but that's what I want. Automatic face recognition with name pop-up is like, just take my money and give me that Facebook, please. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what is the least attractive part of the technology? I mean, the obvious answer is ads in your field of vision, but I feel like maybe that you don't control your own image anymore. Like people making you look like what you don't want to look like. I'll go with that. Right. Well, and that's interesting because if they make me look like how they want me to look and then therefore like me better, I'm actually fine with that. It's only if they make me look some way that uh, they don't like. I don't really care how I think of it because I never have to see it or know about it. But I care how they see, <laughs> they think about it's it. It's true. Maybe it'll save marriages. I don't know. See, like that's the thing is like if if everybody chose to make me more attractive in their eyes, and then as a result everybody liked me more, I'm all in. <laughs> that's that's a win. I'm still gonna go with it just because it feels a little bit like creepy, but I'm sure I'll get used to it. 
like we all right well and since you don't need to know about it it's it's such a weird one it's just like an extension of the fact that you can currently imagine people in their underwear or something but you can you can make it an effortless seamless thing for yourself exactly funny um so martin bigger sent us a question via facebook oh yeah i saw this this is an interesting question so he asked well he asked a few separate questions right one is what industry do you think is going to really take off which I assume he means like what sort of segment of the augmented reality field? Let's just assume he means that, right. sure. So I think I'm terrible at making that kind of prediction, but it does seem to me like the mass market, you know, the version of this that's as much like an iPhone as an AR product can be is the one that I expect will succeed. It's like going to be easy to use for everyone. It's going to be a consumer product. You're going to just turn it on and it's going to just work kind of. Yeah, like you mean like what kind of device? And as far as form factor, I think it's going to change. I mean, I think there'll be a there'll be a pair of glasses that's successful, I think, and then they'll get superseded. Let's say like a cable has to go like down to like a little computer that sits in your pocket. That's just never going to catch no on, way. right? No way. Never. I think happen. that's what it looks like in like I think that's what the Magic Leap is working with right now. Yeah, so I think it's hard to tell. They've from- got to get it wireless. It can work with your cell phone or a cell phone sized computer pack i think in your pocket but it can't be wired to it's it it's got to be wireless i think absolutely and i think it's got to be full frame translucent which both the magic leap and the hololens i believe are going to be in the sense that it can't be like the google glass it can't be like a tiny screen that right. doesn't fill your vision i don't think i think it's going to have to fill a, a significant chunk of your vision well and speaking of filling your vision the other question that he asked yeah. is uh the more augmented, the less of the world you could see is what is an issue that he brings up. So clutter. Um, yeah. He's t- talking about like what user interface could you have so that you can, you know, he said safe for driving. Now, which, now, but raising the issue of safety in general, right? Right. For specifically for driving, I'm not sure I'm worried because I think the car will be driving itself around the time that uh, this is out. But, but crossing the street, crossing the street, where there's other cars, walking where there's other people. I mean, right now, if you're looking at your cell phone while you walk in like New York City, you're going to walk into someone. It's a problem. So yeah, I think that definitely needs to be addressed. And I am a strong believer in minimalist interfaces in general. And I think the solution here is context-aware minimalism. I think the thing that's going to work is you walk down the street, you mostly see the street. There are maybe like little glowing nubs on things that could be expanded if you were interested in them, but you have to like actively look at one or something selector or something before it grows and takes over your vision. Because if not, it's going to be too annoying and people aren't going to yeah, use it. Yeah. My, my first thought is that I'm not concerned about this because it seems so much safer by comparison to looking down at your phone. Which Plus, uh, Hey, the AR glasses could actually be detecting dangers, danger and alerting you to them by literally like, clearing things out of the way and pointing at the danger. <laughs> but there's, there almost definitely right? will be augmented reality deaths that will be reported on. There's going to be somebody who's like playing a game right. and is like chasing a leprechaun well, hey, I think there's gonna down be the people, sidewalk and like runs in front of a bus or I something. think there's going to be people who drive cars while they have their Oculus on. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think what? we're gonna have we're gonna have people like people are stupid. I mean, that, that is okay. Like, I, I'm not saying that's gonna be the common use case, but like considering how much 
driving forward with your foot on the gas, I see people doing while they are fully engaged in a two-handed texting operation. And I see that every single day on the road, literally every single day. Yeah, but you can at least pretend to hide that from a cop. Like, I think... uh but I mean, no they, one's going to drive with an oct. Well, I maybe like, some I idiot. Like some somewhere. idiot somewhere within another within the next year or two is going to crash their car because they were like putting their VR goggles on and off while they were driving, and they just didn't fucking see. Well, something. I won't rule that out, but I can more I can more relate to the person who's like overly involved in an AR game or something to the point that they like neglect a danger, but. Uh, you know, anything's yeah. possible with stupid people. Well, I think the solution is just for the technology to alert you of all dangers, and therefore it doesn't matter if you're not paying attention to the danger because the software does the work for you. That's my, and that's this my is, best solution. This, this is problem. the kind of thing that gets addressed. So, um, so I think that's the episode. Yeah, okay, so that's our episode on augmented reality. Thanks for listening. It's good to be back. It is good to be back. We feel it's, a little rusty. We are going to be trying to... Uh, fulfill our our bi-weekly um, scheduling uh, commitment over this year we are still working on the comic book so if you are one of the people who contributed to that you can uh, check the kickstarter for updates we'll be sending updates up through that system and uh, if you like this podcast please give us a five-star review on itunes or stitcher or stitcher or whatever you use or give us whatever review you think we deserve <laughs> doesn't well, have to be five star <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we would prefer we it to would be like five star. five star reviews, please, because uh, those are the ones that help us with the uh, the old algorithm. And actually, uh, even if you just subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, like let's say you prefer listening to it on the web, if you just go and do that, which takes one second, that really helps us too. Uh, we also have an app that's on the Apple App Store, which you can uh, get. You search for Review the Future on the App Store and you'll find it. Uh, and you can talk to us. We love to hear from you and we will read your questions on the air if we can understand them uh yeah so that's uh you can reach us on twitter that's rtf underscore podcast uh you can reach us via email at feedback at reviewthefuture.com and we also have a facebook page that you can search for all great ways we'll get whatever communication you send to us yes it all comes into our augmented reality displays that we have because we are in the future it's true we already have this stuff we should that should be the pose of the of the podcast from now on we're, we're actually report, podcasting from the future. reporting from the future yeah yeah that sounds exhausting it to would keep be up. really hard yeah no i said as soon as i said that i realized we shouldn't do, actually do it but i'm glad we said it uh, all right well thanks for listening yes and we'll be back in two weeks see you then To subscribe or leave a comment on this episode, please visit reviewthefuture.com. You can also send emails to feedback at reviewthefuture.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.